It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, time now to talk cricket too. And who better to talk to than Andrew Ramsey covering the New Zealand-Australia uh, tour that is in New Zealand. Up a tyre power, get the five-minute tyre safety check at your local tyre power. Tyre power, the buying power, puts the power in your lane. Andrew, uh, in your lane, I should say. Andrew, thanks once again. And uh, the T20 really ended up being a bit of a fizzer, didn't it? Australia, too strong. Uh, yeah, David, they put that last game with the, the rain interrupting, uh, probably made it all a bit of a mess, but um, pretty dominant series from the Australians. The first game went down to the last ball, uh, and after that it was, it was pretty comprehensive. When you look at man-for-man, man, the teams, and you can say the test side as well, Australia seemed to have far more depth, far more talent. The numbers are far greater, yet for some reason the Kiwis generally hang in there, particularly in the home soil, the, the pretty solid unit, but... If you look man for man, Australia way ahead, aren't they, in terms of runs, wickets and and standings? Uh, yeah, and there was probably a, a bit of disparity in that series too with the Australians you know, fielding what was pretty much a full-strength team, with the exception of maybe Marcus Stornis, who might come into the team for the World Cup. But uh, New Zealand were missing you know, the likes of Kane Williamson, who's off on paternity leave. Tim Southey only played one game to prepare for the tests. Um, you know, Daryl Mitchell's a pretty crucial all-round before them. He, he was injured. Then they lost um, Rajan Ravindra, their sort of star batter, for the last couple of games. So personnel-wise, they could say they were down a few. But, um, yeah, you're right. They, they're bigger than the sum of their parts, New Zealand. They, on paper, you probably wouldn't think a lot of times that they would put up much of a fight or a huge fight, but they just never give in. And they're always in and around the mix in those ICC tournaments. They just routinely yeah. make semifinals and finals. They just unfortunately don't win as many. They've always had two or three... Superstars, haven't they? If you go back through the history, and I mean, Kane Williamson's as good as anyone going around. I think Ravinder is going to be an outstanding cricketer for, for many years. Southie's been around; they don't have Bolt anymore, but they've always had three or four really good cricketers, and the, and the maybe five or six battlers. But it still makes them a competitive unit. Yeah, and they always seem to lift for those big games too. Don't they they always fancy themselves against Australia. Um, but this T Twenty series, they unveiled you know, three bowlers who bowl over 140Ks. It was Lockie Ferguson, who's been around for a yes. while, Ben Sears and Adam Milne, who's also been in and around. But there's not many teams in the world that have three bowlers in white ball cricket who can bowl at 140+. plus. So uh, in in the right conditions, they could be a real handful. I'm just not sure that pitches in the West Indies, which is where the, the next T20 World Cup's going to be, is going to be conducive for, for blokes bowling at that speed. I love that you mentioned the T20 World Cup there, Andrew. I want to ask you about the top of the order for the Australian cricket team. Steve Smith didn't have the tournament or the series he would have liked. Your thoughts on, one, Steve Smith, but also who opens for Australia in the T20 World Cup? 
yeah, very good question, Dan. Um, you got to say that Steve Smith's form as an opener in the, the white ball stuff, it probably didn't do him any favours. Uh, the big problem to Steve is he doesn't play much cricket between the end of this test series coming up and the, the T20 World Cup. Like the other guys have got IPL contracts. They'll go off and keep honing their 20-over game, whereas he won't be there. Um, you'd have to think that Travis Head and David Warner are their preferred opening pair. And given what we saw in the, the last game in Auckland, even though it was rain interrupted, Matt Short's effort coming in making 27 off you know, 10 or so balls and then opening the bowling with his offspin, he just gives them that extra option. Um, he'd have to come into their thinking, you would you would imagine. Um, another thing in the West Indies, it's just so hard to get replacement players there in a hurry. So if someone did break a finger on the day before a game, you needed to make a substitution. You just need someone who can cover as many bases as possible. So again, you'd think someone like a Matt Short would probably nose in front in that kind of a, a race. Yeah, and it's a great point you make about Matt Short's spin is the extra thing that might get him over the line than a Steve Smith or someone else. Hey, one guy in the middle of the order that your casual cricket fan might know a little bit of is Tim David, and they would probably know a little bit more about him over the last six months in particular. His form, he hasn't, I don't think he's been dismissed in a long time now. He's doing the job for Australia. Watching him live, is he as good as he is actually built out to be? Uh, he's a pretty remarkable player, and just the, you look at him. The first thing that strikes you is his stature. He's about six foot two, yeah. six foot three, and Without doubt. a strong. massive, hulking fellow. And as Mitch Marsh said prior to the series, he probably fills the hardest role in T Twenty cricket, which is coming in as a you're either the, coming in with two overs to go and you need to hit every ball to the fence, or you're coming in at fourth and not many, and the team's in all sorts yeah. of strife, and you have to maintain the scoring rate. So. What he's been able to do uh, is, is pretty extraordinary, and it's made more extraordinary by the fact that he's, a, he's Australia's first genuine freelance cricketer. You know, he doesn't have a state contract, he doesn't have a Cricket Australia contract, he just plays 20-over cricket for franchises around the world. So to be able to be in the mix for a World Cup and, and play the role that he's playing is, uh, is quite remarkable, and he's a... I think most teams seeing him side of the wicket would be pretty intimidated. Yeah, big bank balance and uh, not facing many balls. <laughs> Andrew, spoke with you last week and I, I made the point this the characters are disappearing in sport and particularly in cricket, I think, too. But we're lucky we have the Chapel era, then the, the Shane Warne era and, and a lot of fantastic players. But you made the, a wonderful point about social media and I thought about that and everyone's so paranoid, aren't they, about getting um, filmed on a on an iPhone or being out somewhere, even having dinner and a few drinks. And it's sad in a way because we don't have those 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 characters. But having said that, do you think this Australian side is as popular as other ones we've seen, we've grown up with through the, you know, the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s? Um, I, think, I think they are. I think they're winning a few hearts and minds. I, I think there's been a time in the not-so-distant past where, Australian teams under some pretty hard-nosed leaders were admired, but they weren't overly loved. Um, they used to win a lot, um, but maybe sometimes the way they went about it was uh, used to grate on a few people. But I mean, this group now, they're pretty personable. And I think, you know, as far as captains go, you've got Pat Cummins in the, the test and the 50-over stuff and, and Mitch Marsh in the 20-overs, even though he's not formally appointed captain yet, he's been doing the job uh, I mean, they're pretty relatable people and they they understand what, um, what the job entails and they want to be a bit more human. They want to present a, a kind of 
softer side, for want of a better word, at the same time keep winning a lot of stuff. And the fact that they hold the World Test Championship, they hold the 50-over World Cup, and they're shaping up pretty well for the 20-over World Cup, would suggest that they're, they're getting the winning part of it right. And I, and I think uh, in terms of personalities, they're, they're pretty relatable, probably more so than some of the ones in the recent past. You mentioned the success there, Andrew. It's our first Red Bull tour of New Zealand for eight years. Is this an upcoming series, a two-test series, that Australia has to be very wary of New Zealand? Is it one that you expect to roll over and, and win the two tests, or is it much more line ball than that? Um, I think they're always they're very competitive in their home patch, and I mean, the brutal truth is that Australia comes into this series having lost their most recent test uh, against the West Indies in yeah. Brisbane, which I don't think anyone saw coming. No. Um, New Zealand had a 2-0 clean sweep of South Africa, even though that was a, probably a third-strength South African team. So they're coming in on some good form. Um, but history would suggest that New Zealand and Australia, it's always been Australia's way. Uh, I don't think New Zealand have won a test on their home turf against Australia for more than 20 years. So wow. it's... It's going to be a, a tough hour, especially against a world-class Australian team that's eyeing the top spot in the World Test Championship ladder again. I think New Zealand currently sit on top. Um, India may be second at the moment and Australia third. So there's no lack of incentive for them and they've got a, a full-strength team. So um, I think the, the hosts are going to have the work cut out for them, but you just never write them off. Probably stronger in the batting, I think, than bowling New Zealand. But what, what sort of pitch, Andrew, do you think they'll serve up are generally a lot slower than the Aussie pitches, aren't they, with with less bounce? Um, it's interesting. You know, I asked Mitch Santner, the, the T20 captain, at the end of the, the series, the White Bull series, what he thought he expected. And he thought the basin reserve for the first test, it, it may fa- favour the quicks early on, but it could take some turn later on, given okay. at the end of the summer, obviously. And But the pitch at Hagley Oval in Christchurch has always been a bit seamer-friendly, so... I think the Australian selectors were expecting seam-friendly pictures, which is why they included Michael Nisha and, and Scott Boland, as well as the, the big three quicks in that squad. Um, and New Zealand, have, as I mentioned, they've got no shortage of fast bowlers. It's whether they can keep them all on the park. So it might be a bit of a, a fast bowling shootout, certainly for that second test, um, which is the ground where last time Australia were here, Brendan McCullum made the, the fastest ever test century. So... If you're prepared to throw the bat, you can uh, you get yeah. rewards. Could be Travis Head's turn, yeah. Exactly right. Now, last one, Andrew, before we let you go. we with You mentioned Nisa, Boland and Renshaw are in the squad with the other 11 that we expect to play. The two tests, are you expecting it just to be as per normal, both tests we play with the 11 that has been so successful for such a long time? Or do you think one opportunity might come to Renshaw or to Nisa or to Boland? Um, I guess it all depends on fitness. It's a pretty tight turnaround between the tests. There's only a couple of days between the, the first and the second, so I guess it's bowler workload and stuff. Um, you have to think, given the uh, the result they got in the last test that they played in Australia, they've got a point to prove, and I think the selectors have said they're pretty committed to the you know, Steve Smith opening Cameron Green at four lineup, um, which makes it hard for a Renshaw to get in unless there was some sort of... Uh, extraordinary circumstance so I would imagine they could go through ideally with the same 11 for both tests but uh, I guess all other things come into play when you're on a test tour don't they? Now Andrew not only a, a cricket reporter you are an author of note anything on the horizon you're working on an, another book or a, or some sort of topic at the moment? 
there is a book in the pipeline. Uh, it, it may be cricket-related, so uh, probably uh, it could be player-related. I can't say too much because oh. it's not my oh. news to announce, but uh, um, it might be one of the senior Australian players doing a book with him, which would be interesting because uh, I think he's got an interesting story to tell. Is that cryptic enough? To yeah, well, we're <laughs> breaking it first. We'll take that on Sports Day, I say. But, Andrew, thanks for that. Looking forward to the Test match. You'll be a beauty, and uh, thanks for your time once again. Thanks, gents. Andrew Ramsey, the Australian cricket reporter, has written a lot of books too, Dan. And not only on cricket. He started, I think, as a bank teller, got out of that. Wow. That'd be pretty boring. I started as a bank teller too. It was boring. So, But he's not boring and he's uh, he's got a pretty good job too following the Australian cricket team around.